We're so excited that you chose to spend this Easter Sunday at Life City Church, and I believe that God is going to do some amazing things in our lives. And one of the greatest things about coming together to celebrate Easter Sunday is the fact that everything that we believe, every hope that we have rests on what we celebrate today. It rests on the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Can we say amen? And now the reason I get excited about that is because if there's anybody that should have stayed dead, it should have been Jesus. Because we just carry our own sins, but Jesus carried the sins of each and every one of us from since the beginning of time. So knowing that and knowing that he carried all of that on us by every natural standard, he's the one that should have been dead. But thank God for the power of God that rose him from the grave. And because he got up, we can get up to do. Can we say amen? amen. So I want to talk to you this morning briefly from this thought, the greatest comeback ever. And the reason I chose that thought is because honestly, who doesn't like a good comeback story? You know, it, it makes for good movies. It makes for good television. People love a good comeback. And so that's why, if you, anybody ever seen the Rocky movies? How Rocky's just taking punishment over and over again, but somehow, no matter who he's fighting, he ends up making a comeback. And nobody, we, we, nobody hates the fact that they can watch sports highlights and somehow people were down and the team was down, but somehow at the end they just pulled it out. But I thought, let me tell you my own little comeback story. You know, I used to play basketball and, you know, up until that point I would dream of that moment where I would get in the game at the end of the game and it's, we're down by one or it's tied and, you know, you've had that dream too. Don't act like you haven't had it. But somehow I get called into the game and it would rest on me and I would shoot the winning shot. And so after having years and years of these dreams, I actually had the moment where I got called into the game, tie game, Cypress Creek High School, Bears. That's a real intimidating team name. But so I have this and, and coach calls me into the game. Game is tied and of course inbound pass, I've got it. We got to go full court, so I'm going, I'm dribbling full speed. We're going to win this game because oh, Mr. Clutch has it. Dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. I get to half court and get nervous and shoot from half court. Can you say air ball? <laughs> and then the team takes possession and the other team wins. Say aw. But aren't you glad that we don't have a comeback story like that with Jesus? And so when we talk about this greatest comeback ever, I want to start reading from this passage. It says, from then on, in Matthew 16, 21 through 23, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. And he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And I'm going to stop right there because uh, what I like about Jesus is Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything. He tells the whole story. Um, and so he says, look, I, I, there's some things that I'm going to go through. But that, that word but means that everything before that but doesn't really matter because there's something greater coming after the but. And so he says, I, I, I'll be killed, but on the third day, I'm getting up again. 
But what happens with Peter is the same thing that happens with many of us. It says, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him saying, for saying such things. Now, you know, imagine this. Jesus, the Son of God, he, he sees all. He knows all. He, they, they've walked with him. These disciples have walked with him. They've seen him open up blinded eyes. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him make the lame to walk. But, and they've watched all of this, and they know that he's got all this power that's, that's flowing through his mind and his body. But Peter just pulls him aside like he's the boss. He said, wait a minute, Jesus. You, we had you when you were multiplying fish and loaves and bread and making fish dinners for the multitude. We had you when you were healing people. But now you're talking about this thing that you've got to go through something. And uh, let me just tell you, that's not the way it, it should be. Have you ever been there where I, I, I'm trying to walk with Jesus, but what I've got to go through, I don't feel like it's the way it should be. Or is it just me in here? You know, you're sitting there and I'm like, I love you, God. I, I'm going with all my heart, but what I'm dealing with and what I'm going to have to face, that doesn't line up with what I say, I believe. So he says, heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. So Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. How would you like Jesus to deal with you like that? You're, you're walking with him and all of a sudden he says, you know what, get away from me, Satan. So what we find is that he's not talking to Peter's flesh. He's talking to the spirit that's operating in him. And he says, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap for me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And so this is what gets many of us in, in trouble in our lives. When we look at the life of Jesus and, and the fact that he came to die for our sins, sometimes we're looking at what he's doing from our point of view. Somebody say big picture. When we deal with Jesus, when we deal with the things of God, we've got to look at things from a big picture. Now, you've got to understand this in context because we have Jesus who existed from eternity, but he comes to die for you and me. Imagine this. He, he comes. He knows I'm coming, and I'm going to do all these miracles, and people still aren't going to believe in me. I'm going to heal people, and still people are not going to believe in me. And then after that, after I do all of this, for the people that don't believe in me, I'm still going to die for them. I'm going to suffer for them. I'm going to be criticized for them. And at the end of it all, I'm going to go on a cross and everybody who said they were with me is going to walk away. Why did he do it? He, do it? he did it for you and I. Somebody, when you begin to think about the fact, you say, well, I'm not special. I'm not important to anybody. Just think about the fact that I may not be important to those that I think I should be, but I'm important to Jesus. I'm important enough for him to go and have nails driven through his hands and to suffer and to die just so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And see, what I find is many of us, uh, when you talk to people, they're like, well, I've got to get it right before I come to Jesus. Let me tell you something. You won't get it right until you come to Jesus. There's some things you can't fix on your own. And that's why we find in, in the Bible that God never comes to anybody and says, get everything right first. What he does is he comes to you, says, I love you. Come follow me. Why? Because he says, long as you walk with me, <coughs> we can fix what you're dealing with on the journey. Somebody say amen. See, we as humans, are, 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 we get caught up in the fact that of all that we can do and how we can make ourselves worthy to God. But the reality is that you and I can't do anything that makes us worthy to God. And so that's why salvation is called a gift. He says, Jesus, I'm going to give you something that's going to help you have a relationship with me. And all I need you to do is follow me. 
That's in a nutshell. But what I want to talk about, because we celebrate the resurrection and this comeback, that after he dies, we know the story, he gets up three days later. But he starts to appear to different people after he rises. And this is what I really want to teach on today because I think it's important. I won't be up long. But in John 20, verses 24 through 25, says this. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nails, the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound into his side. There's something about hearing about a move of God but not being there when it happens. There's something about celebrating what you know occurred even though you aren't in the presence of it yourself. You ever had somebody tell you a good story about how something went well for them or how God worked a miracle in their life and you're sitting there saying, that sounds good, but I haven't experienced it for myself. And so sometimes you have to force a smile and force a hand clap because you're like, man, that's really good for you. But when is it my turn? Do we have any real folks in the house today? That, that, that you will celebrate with people, but you're still waiting on your, your own turn. And so what I find is the principle is this. Hearing the truth will never be as life-changing as experiencing the truth. So I can hear the message. I can be encouraged by the message. But at some point, as much as you're telling me it's good to get in the pool, I got to get in that pool and swim myself and experience this thing that you're talking about. It's great that you got healed. It's great that you got set free. But I'm still bound. And I need to experience him for myself. Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas, and he gets a bad rap. But I got to be honest with you, I kind of like Thomas a little bit. Because Thomas says, I, I know what you said. I know what I heard, but I need some evidence. You ever needed some evidence? Thomas says, I need some proof. I, 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 I know y'all saw him, but unless I am able to touch Jesus for myself, I will not believe. Why is that important? Because many of us are in that place right now in our own lives. We know we, 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 we've done the church thing. We've done, uh, we've sung the songs. We've listened to the messages. But at some point in your heart, you're saying, I need to touch Jesus for myself. Or I will not believe. Now, you have to understand the significance of what he's saying. This is not passive. He's saying, look, I'm not going to believe what y'all are telling me unless Jesus, I see him for myself. And as a matter of fact, seeing him is not enough. I've got to be able to feel him and, and, and touch him. I've got to see exactly where they put the nails, and I've got to put my finger in there themselves. Don't act like you don't ever act like that. I know some of us, we, we're holy. We're real holy, so we just praise God no matter what. But there's another group of us that we've been through so much. Look, I, I know what you're saying, but I need to have my own experience. The story of another's experience will never be able to bring the satisfaction of our own. The story of another's experience will never be able to bring the satisfaction of our own. If you do this Christian walk right, what it should do is just whet somebody's appetite to have their own experience. 
See, even preaching or teaching this right now is not meant to, to sustain you completely. All it should do is motivate you to have an experience of your own. So it's, it's good when people, even like the, if you've ever heard that story of the woman at the well, she, she met Jesus, she has this experience with Jesus, and then she goes and tells other people about it, and what they end up saying is, we first believed him because of what you said, but now we don't need your testimony anymore because we've heard him for ourselves. I just want a life where I can say, I've experienced Jesus for myself so that I know when I'm going through something, I don't have to necessarily depend on your experience, but I've had an encounter of my own. Can we say amen? amen. And so we say this. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time, Thomas was with them. He wasn't there before, but he's there now. Have you ever been able, have you ever been a place in your life where you say, I just need to get some faith? I, I just need to get some joy. I just need to get some peace. I just need to move further in my life. I've been stuck in this place too long, and you're like, you don't know how to get it. But here's the reality. When we're not in a personal place of faith, we need to get in the presence of faith. So sometimes you're not believing, but you got to get around people who are believing. And so here's what happens with, with Thomas. It says that he, now remember what he said before. He said, I will not believe. But somehow he ends up hanging out with these guys again. And this time, something different is going to happen. John 20, 26 says this, the doors were locked, but suddenly as before, which means Jesus does the same thing he did before when Thomas wasn't there. And now he shows up. As before, Jesus was standing among them. Now, here's what I want to encourage you with today. This is the power of the resurrection because the resurrection brings us hope and it brings us another very important thing. First thing Jesus says to them is peace. Peace be with you. Now, understand the construction of the text here. It says, but suddenly... So that means that they were experiencing something before he got there that was going to change when he got there. And they couldn't plan for it. They couldn't do this. Just suddenly, as before, he's just standing among them. Think about what you're dealing with in your own life right now. And all of a sudden, suddenly just Jesus shows up. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to do that. And suddenly, he just shows up in the midst. And he says, peace. Be with you. What's the principle? Where Jesus is present, peace is present. How many of you need peace today? How many be honest and say that you got some storms going on in your life right now and all the things that you think will fix it may not fix it and I just need some peace in my mind. I need some peace in my heart. Lord, I need you to calm the storm that's going on in my life. And the beautiful thing about him is all he needs to do is speak peace over you. And it's done. It doesn't matter what the doctor is going is saying. It doesn't matter what's going on in your relationship. All that matters is that he shows up and he says, peace. But here's another thing that I like about Jesus. How many of you, even if you say something in private when it comes to Jesus, you never really say it in private? Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side and don't be faithless any longer. But believe. 
How many of you know that if you read the text too fast, you'll miss the fact that Jesus showed up just for Thomas? He first he says peace, and then he says he goes right to Thomas. He said, I'm gonna address the very area where you're having a problem believing. You said, unless you touch my hands and you see the wounds, you're not going to believe. So here I am, Thomas, just for you. Put your hand into the wound. Put, put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless anymore. I'm showing up, Thomas, to give you some faith. Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So when he shows up, he's not showing up to keep you where you are. He's showing up to move you forward. As long as you tolerate where you are, you will never move. But understand that Jesus is showing up just for you, that you're sitting right here right now, and he's here just for you because he wants you to move forward and not stay where you are. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. God knows how to speak to us right in the place of our deepest unbelief. You know, when you get hurt and when you get wounded, the reality is, is you don't want anybody touching that area. If they even get close to it, you start to jump back a little bit. I'm talking about in the natural. You get hurt, you get bruised. And what happens is, is when people start to touch it, you get mad. And you can almost take a swing at them if they hit you hard enough in a place you're already hurting. But the beautiful thing about Jesus in his grace and in his mercy, he knows exactly the heart of our unbelief. And he'll show up right there and he'll touch you right in that place where you're having a hard time believing. Why? Because he wants to punish you? No. Because he wants to bring you closer to himself. We spend so much of our life so much of our time trying to get close to other people when God wants us to get close to him. John 20, 28, it says this. Thomas replies, my Lord and my God. Understand this. Thomas never has to touch Jesus to believe. He just has to see him. True faith always leads to surrender. When we really trust God, when we really believe God, when we really have an encounter with him, the first response that it should pull in our lives is surrender, Lord, my Lord, and my God. John 20, 29 says this, Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. How many of you right now, you, you're in a situation in your life where you're like, I love God, but I can't see him. I can't see his hand working in this right now. Yeah, I know, how, I know how to go and walk around and say I'm blessed and highly favored. I know how to say I'm trusting God for this and that. But on the inside, I love him, but I don't believe him. If he can take the sins of millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people. All of that on himself. And they can kill him the way he did. They did. And he can get up and rise. How many of you know your situation is not a problem for him? Your situation is not an emergency for him. So the whole point of the preaching 
all across this world today is the resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection gives us a place where our expectation can be risen again because if he can rise from the grave, you're looking at an impossible situation that's not impossible with him. You're looking at a situation you're like that. You said, it'll never change, but Jesus said, look, look at, look at the cross. Look what they did to me, and I got up just like I said I was going to do it. See, it was a surprise to them, but it wasn't a surprise to Jesus. And your miracle won't be a surprise either. Real faith learns to believe God in the dark. Sometimes it's easy to believe him when everything's going well. It's easy to believe him when uh, everything is working out the way I want it to. But real faith also knows how to believe him when I can't see a way, when I can't feel a way, when the people who should have helped me didn't help me, when the people who said they were going to stick with me left me. Then real faith will rise and say, you know what, God, if I look to my right and there's nobody and I look to my left and there's nobody and the doctors have given up hope on me and they've walked away from the relationship. God, I know you haven't walked away from me. It's dark. I can't see any sunshine, but my faith is going to rise. I believe that you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I can ask, think or imagine. Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. How many of you know his timing is perfect? It's absolutely perfect. But I want to talk to you who maybe have not started a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you walked away from it, or you fell off a little bit. I want you to understand something. This verse says that just at the right time, he, di he died for us. You know what that means? It, it means he didn't wait for you to mess up to die for you. I don't know if you understand the significance like I do, because if you understand that, you won't sit there trying to clean yourself up before you come to him. But you say, Lord, every failure, every mistake, every struggle, every mindset that's wrong, everything that's come against me, Lord, at the right time, you died for me. Now, most people would not even be willing to die for an upright person. <laughs> Though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Don't, don't, don't miss this. But God showed his love, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? While we were still sinners. Isn't that amazing? He loved you so much that he knows every detail of your life, and he still died for you. He loves us so much that the stuff we hate about ourselves, he knows, and he still died for us. Whenever we think that a situation is beyond redemption, whenever we think that we are without hope, whenever we think that God will never do anything with us, all we have to do is look at the nail-scarred hands and say that my situation is hopeless, my life is not, my situation is not hopeless, my life is not hopeless, I'm not stuck in this, and when you forget about it, remind yourself again, look at the cross of Calvary and say, it's not hopeless. Christ's death was the greatest representation of his love. Christ solved our problem before we even realized there was a problem. He was ahead of us. That thing right now that you don't know how it's going to turn out. He beat you to the finish line. 
I don't know if we grasp the significance of this. Because there's people all over this room right now, and you, you haven't expressed it to anybody, but you feel insignificant. You feel like you're without direction, without purpose, aimless. But God loved you enough to watch his son suffer and die so that your sins could be washed away and that you could be everything that he created you to be. So that you could accomplish that thing that you gave up on. So that you could live a life pleasing to him. Close your eyes for, for just a second. This event, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important message that you will ever hear. Yeah, I know there's a lot of five steps to this miracle and two steps to that miracle, and, but the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes life with God possible for you and I. Christ's comeback is the ultimate foundation for our comeback. Some of you came in, honestly, and, and you're like, I'm just going, I'll check church out one more time. I, you, some came in and said, you know, I, I don't know everything about what it even means to, to walk with God or live for God. Uh, some people, you, you're sitting here right now listening to my voice, and you're like, there's just so much stuff I got to fix and get together. But let me be real with you for a minute. God never asked you to get anything together. The only thing he asked you to do is say, I believe that your son Jesus died for me. And then he wants you to walk with him. And as you walk with him, he will help you. Mm. Yes, he does. So if you're here, we're not going to call you to come out of your seat. We're not going to embarrass anybody. But you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or, or somehow you had, had started the journey along the way and just, you know, what, for whatever reason, it, it, it fell off or you fell off. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I just want you to lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm willing to try to follow you again. I trust you to help me. If that's you, slip your hand up quickly. Amen. 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 So awesome. So awesome. You're here and you came in struggling. Sickness in your body, sickness in your mind, bondage of any kind, addiction, 
Nobody's going to shame you. Nobody's looking around. Your, your raising of your hand is an acknowledgement of your faith that God can help you. That's it. And so if that's you, you came in and you, you just, here's, here's the bottom line. I need God to move. <laughs> that's you. Just put your hand up quickly. Do it boldly with faith so I know who I'm praying for. Amen. Amen. The resurrection of Christ, the greatest miracle ever, is the foundation for these miracles that you're believing for today. So I want to pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for the freedom that comes from receiving your sacrifice. Salvation is a gift. We can't work for it, God. All we can do is receive it. Repeat after me, Father, all over the room, loud as you can. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising three days later with all power in your hands. Lord, I submit, I surrender to you. Forgive me for my sins. Help me turn from anything that doesn't please you. Help me to walk in a way that does. Thank you for eyes that see, for ears that hear, and a heart that believes. Thank you for healing of my mind, of my body, of my soul, of my spirit. I declare with faith I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm the lender and not the borrower. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I go out. I'm blessed when I come in. My needs are met according to your riches in glory. Thank you for a glorious future. Thank you for moving me towards my purpose. Thank you for never giving up on me. I declare freedom over my life, over my family's life, over my children's life. I decree and declare I walk in favor. I walk in generational blessings. Everything I touch is blessed. Everywhere I walk is blessed. I am a child of God. I believe your word spoken over my life. I am who you say I am. I can do what you can say I do. I'll never be the same another day in my life. Can we shout praise and glory to God today?
He's so amazing. He's so amazing. I want you to give yourselves a hand for being here today in the presence of God. So excited. I'm excited about your future. If you made a decision to follow the Lord, um, you should have received the Connect card uh, when you came in. Just ask that you fill that out. Nobody's going to stalk you. We just reach out to know how we can uh, pray for you and be a blessing uh, to your life. Um, there's also, um, in just a few minutes, if you have uh, kids, if you have kids, ask that you would pick them up. If they're participating in the egg hunt out front, just grab them and We'll be doing that a few minutes after service. Don't leave before I get a chance to just shake your hand and tell you how much I'm glad that you were here. Can we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus one more time and give him the loudest praise? Don't want to stand to your feet. I want to pray blessing over your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for what you've accomplished in this place today. Lord, we don't rely on a feeling, but we rely on our faith. And Lord, we thank you for the path of victory being made smooth and straight for us today. Lord, I pray blessings upon the mind and heart of your people. I pray blessings upon the seed deposited in their hearts. And as they leave this place, let them leave walking in the favor and the blessing of God in every area of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen, and have a great week. I'll see you outside. God bless you.